Hello, hello, guys. Welcome to Ashland Podcast. Happy I'm here day. with Lisa and Ian. Hello. How's it going, guys? It's going great. We're talking about villains today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you know why we say that? Do you know why we're saying villains? Do you, know? do you have, yeah. Do you have, a, I think you have a story behind I it. I do have a story. It's real quick. I worked on the after show for Wolf Watch. Um, if anybody uh, remembered Teen Wolf, I loved it. <gasps> It's a great show. Wait, you love Teen Wolf? I love Teen Wolf. Oh my gosh. I'm Team I Tyler. Did not know that. I'm Team Tyler. <laughs> you love him so hard. That show is such a guilty pleasure for me. Right. I and so, loved that show. So you'll love this. I don't know what season it was. I want to say it was like season four or five. Long about there. I should know this. I worked on the um the after show called Wolf Watch. Yeah. So yeah, I, I watched it. I was the lead writer, and I wrote a lot of our game shows, and I wrote a lot of our trivia. And oh, cool. It's funny. This is how I became really close to my friend Alex. And you remind me of my friend Alex. He was so super whip smart, and he was, an, he was a walking encyclopedia of the show. And I had just gotten the show. Like, my friend worked at MTV. She got me the show. I came in and auditioned. I actually beat out a, a former head writer at, like, fucking David Letterman to get this job. <laughs> and then once I got it, it was like the dog that chased the car and got it. I was like, what the fuck am I going to do? <laughs> I don't know anything about this show or, or anything. So I was trying to binge watch this show. That's that right. I had already watched the first two seasons like a while ago and loved it. And then just like time happened and I didn't go back to it. So I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to clock all these seasons in four days. So I think I had to watch like three seasons in four days. They were doing like 24 oh episode fucking seasons. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, motherfucker. I'm like, I'm, I'm getting close to season, to episode 12. I'm Did done. you finish all of them before your first day? Not really. So Alex, <laughs> he was the story producer's assistant. And Alex used to do the podcast with us. That's how much I loved him. I would go to him and go, okay. In episode, in season two, episode eight, when the monster attacks, it gives the amulet to what character? And he would just say it. And I was like, how are you doing this? He was this walking. So my job on that was, I don't know why I'm telling, why are we telling the story? Why are we talking about Wolf Watch? Villains. Oh, Villains. So, Villains. Okay. So uh, we had set up this big, the, the, the other writers, there was other producers. I was the only sole writer. I'm sorry, MTV. I was a creative consultant. I wasn't a writer on the show. I was a creative consultant. I'm going to get in so much trouble. It's really y'all's fault. Anyway. I love working on the show. Nobody get mad at anybody. It was a great experience. Suck a dick. It was awesome. So uh, we were standing on set and this little place out in, you know, Van Nuys, the studio, and we were doing the show and we had done this whole thing on villains of Teen Wolf up yeah. until that time. Like your favorite villains. And we were doing this entire game show around it. And they had done all of this beautiful set work. I forget the guy's name who did the sets, but they were gorgeous. And they were, his lighting is just... He put his heart and soul in this. And he'd been doing this for 25, 30 years. And I'm standing there looking at all the branding on stage. We're about to go in this game show segment. And I see that everything on the set says villains. And I remember (laughs) that every time when you go to type, I don't know what happens in Word doc. But for the longest time, maybe they've corrected since. When you type villains, it spells it villains for some reason. And I looked at the guy and I said, we're about to take this segment in like literally 20 minutes. I think it's normal, though, because you, you know there's an I in there, but you just don't know where to put it. Well, I do. Well, I, I mean, know where to put my eye. <laughs> I was about to say, I do. Is- I don't receive that. 
Yeah. See, it's like it's like one of those. Things. I think for, for the act. for like the common person. Mm-hmm. Yes. So this poor set director is looking at me, and like his face just falls like a cake in the <laughs> oven when you stomp on the floor. He just looks at me like the fuck and he's just like in slow motion like no he's running across the room dive bombing while they're like i've got to look this up (laughs) it's really funny well there's no way to find it online because it was all behind the scenes because i was there and like we fixed it before we aired but oh you fixed it okay yeah because i kept seeing it on the cars like in the in the wolf watch after show like room i kept seeing it repeated and i kept saying to myself i was a new kid on the block everybody had been there since you know season one and I was coming in season two, three, four. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. And I was just like sitting here going, I was watching on the cards, like even on the, the colored cards of the wall. I was like, they're saying billions, 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 billions. And they would move the card around. I'm like, they were <laughs> handwriting that with the Sharpie. I'm like. They had to redo all those posters then, right? Yeah. Well, they had to, there was a lot of stick on letters. Oh, so you just. And he was like, thank God. I'm like. Whew. I know that's a very random story to tell you, but um, also fans of Teen Wolf. Tyler Posey is the sweetest motherfucker ever. He is as you imagine him to be. He's very kind and he is very loving and he is awesome. A lot of people on that show are actually some of the best people I've met in town. They're so really- so you actually so you actually like talk talk to him? Oh yeah, yeah. We had to like write jokes for them and stuff and like write presentations for them and You were on set. Yeah, I was on I was actually yeah, when we would shoot it I would be on set when we would did the oh, live to tape. So cool. It was really fun. It was really it was really super fun and everybody was super awesome. Um mm-hmm. and I think who played the Jaguar, the Werewire, the whatever, Kate? Oh, I've lost all these names yes. now. She was the host I'm, when I was there. Yeah. And she was super fucking awesome. She was so delightful. Loved working on that show. And I was working with my friends and everybody was like, it was a great, it was a great experience. It was so fun. But I remember like the Villians thing stuck because it was universally, I had a band, uh, another quick story, a band that was, had this wonderful album. They were just doing great work. And they were one of these rare, like independent musicians who were just like killing it. And their first album was called Villains. Mm-hmm. Guess how they spelled it? <laughs> oh, On no. the actual printed jacket. <laughs> oh. Digitally, they could change, you know, because at the time, I think we were still doing like we were still doing CDs a little bit. So everything at like Amoeba Music was all like misprinted. Oh. And here's the thing: talk about kill the messenger. I actually reached out to their management and said, "You know that's misspelled." They were like, fucking grammar police. I'm like, bitch, in this particular case, you're not on Twitter uh, making a random comment. You have paid <laughs> thousands of dollars to put your shit in the street, and you're spelling it wrong, yeah. and your first album is named... Mm. <laughs> Sorry I went off on that little diatribe. But we got wow. to learn something more about Lisa, who's exposed herself. I hope they discounted those albums. I hope they did, too. <laughs> I, probably nobody noticed. I don't think no, anybody noticed probably, shit probably like not. that. Because they they're, they're spelling it villains. <laughs> So There's, this show oh, is, it says villains. This show is I should actually just misspell it in the description now. In parentheses, <laughs> better known as villains. Okay. And you go. <laughs> well, I thought uh today that we uh we could talk about what makes a good villain, what makes a bad villain. And you know, given your, you know, screenwriting and writing backgrounds, I thought you could Sort of maybe tell us like what are the most common missteps that you see either just in books or in Not TV qualified. film? <laughs> <laughs> well, just how about just your just your sort of 
I'll things tell you, that you I'll tell you my personal. Okay, here's here's what I okay. All right, that's kind of a loaded dick. Um, here's my gripe with villains from the get. And I think it's a personal preference, and I don't know why this is, but I grew, maybe it's because I grew up so lawless, and mm-hmm. I grew up with so many rednecks, and I know that people who can... This is why I... Bear with me for a second. I know that why I am a little bit more forgiving about people who voted for Trump and who are saying some crazy shit right now and being like their worst selves. I feel like there's hope for those people in that I grew up with people like that, and I feel like there is a redemption, and we all fucking make mistakes. James Gunn can say something. He said eight, nine years ago, you're like, Trump is awesome, he's amazing, and crooked Hillary and all that shit, and and I saw a lot of—I I see a lot of people already turning around on that or having a more measured take, if you will. So this is what I bring into the whole villains conversation is that I think I'm more forgiving and more allowing of a villain than the not average person, but my take is just a little different. Conversely, I have a higher expectation of villains. Mm -hmm. If you're just showing up to go, raw, I kill, I smash, I destroy, I get a little bored. Mm -hmm. I kind of need to know why. I don't need like half the film dedicated to your origin story, but I kind of... I feel like because people, good people do nothing, they create villains. I think because people are pussies, they create villains. I think because people are too cowardly to carry their own rocks, they create villains. And sometimes you've got to be the villain. So I'm yeah. kind of on the side of the Tony Soprano, the Walter White, um, the Cersei, the Gus Vring, yeah. um, the Vanessa Ives becomes a villain against mm-hmm. her own will. You know, it's like the Daleks in Doctor Who, they're just, they're there to be evil. We don't ever get into like why they became little, plas- you know, little silly putty inside machines. But I'm really more interested in like, because I'm going to have sympathy for the devil. I don't know if I'm answering your question so much as saying that I'm not qualified to determine what is a good or bad villain. I just know that Personally, I'm more interested in knowing how he got here because sure, yeah. all of us are capable of being villains every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Well, that, that sort of leads into the conversation about like the difference between two-dimensional and three-dimensional villains. And it's a lot – it's really hard – to sort of, I guess, nail that distinction because it's, I mean, it's very hard in general just to write a good and believable villain. Um, I mean, some of the biggest, just to put it in, in like perspective and context, the biggest criticism of like Marvel movies is that the villains are very two-dimensional and it's largely because uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe as a whole has been really leading up to the whole Thanos situation. Um, so everything along the way feels very temporary and sort of superficial. Um, but then you get villains like Killmonger. Um, and the reason he works is, I, I think, and there are different types of villains that you can write into your stories. But to just to bring everything back to Black Panther, because why not? Why not? Uh, the reason Killmonger works is that within the, the context of the narrative is that Killmonger is 
what T'Challa would have grown up to be had the roles sort of been reversed. Absolutely. And he's also an example of a villain that has has a sympathetic intention, something that we can understand and empathize with, but he's just going about it the wrong way. And, you know, it's also interesting, too, because Nakia in the film is sort of advocating for what Killmonger wants, but in a different way, you know, doing outreach programs and, you know, and T'Challa ultimately comes around. He learns from the conflict. He learns from uh, his struggle with Killmonger and and he tries to go go about this a little better and try, hopefully try to make it try to prevent something like this happening again. And another reason that villain works, I, I know I'm just like piling it on. No, I want to talk like, about Killmonger so hard. I'm yeah. like, you just hit upon an example I was going to get to, but I'm loving this go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And another reason why he works is that T'Challa and his father T'Chaka basically created him yes they created killmonger you know by killing his father and and never bringing him to wakanda and that's just so interesting to me like when the when the protagonist either intentionally or unintentionally creates the villain that they won't have to deal with until years down the line i think think, i think that's really interesting is it controversial for me to say that i think that killmonger did a huge service to wakanda wakanda would have kept its head you know, buried in the sand and stayed hidden from society. I mean, what Killmonger did was yeah. offer himself as a sacrifice. And I understood his rage so much, um, as much as I could, as much as, you know, my societal, you know, my white privilege allows me to understand. Look, sure. I don't do the W on my chest, so y'all don't come after me. But um, I loved that film and it, it moved me so deeply. It's like, I totally understand uh, Killmonger. Totally get it. Mm-hmm. You left my fucking ass in Oakland, dude. So I have to say, because Killmonger happened so recently in memory, others pale in comparison. And if this is possible, yeah. this character as and also Villanelle from Killing Eve and uh, and so many like these characters. I don't. We don't really know Villanelle's origin story. She's playing the psycho pretty well. I don't even think she's a good comparison to even Killmonger, but. We get it. And I say, I, I kind of like, I can look at like Walter White and see him as a necessary villain who didn't want to bitch out in life. He got this cancer diagnosis and he was going to go out on his feet. And he tells his wife at the very end, spoiler alert for Breaking Bad if you haven't seen it. You know, I liked it. I was good at it. And I had a really ripping good time, motherfuckers. You know, I was good at it. I was really good at it. So I like it when a villain has a purpose and every villain I've ever written I have given the full reason for being a motherfucker y'all normally mm-hmm. time because y'all asked for it you know I tried to help you your pansy ass wanted to take the high road all the time and sometimes you got to take the low road I'm sorry in society sometimes somebody needs to throw a show up and like knock a head you know sometimes that gets attention we see that in their society. Do you want to be Martin or do you want to be Malcolm? And Malcolm was effective and Martin was effective. So when I looked at Black Panther, I saw MLK and then I saw Malcolm X. You know, and T'Challa didn't get assassinated. But, you know, just that whole middle passage thing that Killmonger yeah, gives us. Yeah, when he's dying there on mm-hmm. the, watching that, was mm-hmm. it sunset or was it sunrise? It was sunset, sunset yeah. Sunset, yeah. Sunset. 
it's just like, dude, you know, that's the kind of villain I want to see because that sacrifice was not for nothing. Like, I still, sure. I, I, yeah. did Heath Ledger get into, because he's my favorite Joker, did Heath Ledger's yes, character ever sure. get into, like, why he was so fucked up and shit? I have not seen that movie in a minute, so. What, um, what do you mean? Heath Ledger's Joker. Do we ever, I mean, I'm not a big um, Joker aficionado. I just like that particular Joker a lot. Do we ever oh, get into oh. his origin story, like, what happened to him? You mean you mean the Joker's origin story? Yes. Okay, I was I was confused. Um, no, the Joker is, is such a such a unique situation. I'm glad we're we we you know starting to talk about him, but I feel like the Joker is one of those villains that doesn't need an origin story. He doesn't. I think it's a lot. I think it's a lot. And and this is why I'm sort of like eh, about this new Joker movie, solo Joker movie that's coming out. But this, and this is just my opinion, but like the reason I think the Joker is effective enough without an origin story is that because he's one of those villains that is very proactive in the way he like gets reactions out of the people he wants to get reactions out of. So like, that particular Joker, the Heath Ledger Joker, he pushes people to their limits so that they stop pretending to be the person that they're projecting towards society and start being the person that they actually are. Mm. And I think that's far more interesting than like sort of going back and, you know, how do you get and like he even like plays with that idea of the origin story. He doesn't tell anybody how he got his scars like he tells multiple different multiple stories. Yeah. Um, the uh, Patton Oswald a couple of weeks ago sort of um, caught on to the fact that uh, in that scene where the Joker is sort of talking to Harvey Dent in that hospital, and he's talking about how um, how passive we become as a society to violence, how desensitized we become to it, and that he's you know he's telling Harvey Dent, if I told everyone that a, a truckload of soldiers will will be blown up, no one pa- panics. And Patton Oswalt said that that was an interesting comment because it could certainly be that the Joker was, that's what happened to him, that he, you know, he got blown up in an explosion. He was in the right. army. That's why he's so proficient with like, you know, like guns and stuff. Um, that was interesting. I like to speculate on that stuff, but I don't think it, it works completely fine we without don't need the origin it. story. I and agree is, with that. I agree yeah. with that wholeheartedly. I really do. I mean, because yeah. what's conversely, because what's we've been hit, hit over the head with is like, they killed my parents in an alley. I'm like, oh my God, please fucking get over it. Oh my God. Now it's just like a fucking meme. Whereas <laughs> I love that we don't know where the joke will come from. I don't need, I can just say as a, as a writer and as someone who has to create characters and has been asked to do it for money, I don't necessarily, like I may know the story myself, but I n- may never tell the audience. I just, for me, need to know. Sometimes yeah. it's cool. Like right now with Killing Eve with Villanelle, this character is popping off this off off the screen, the small screen BBC show. Uh, Villanelle is a clearly a psychopath with a lot of fucking issues. Who's learned how to survive? And I love her. I don't know that I ever need to know where she came from or how she was formed. I just, I know that somebody had a lot of conversations. I know a writer wrote a backstory and I see that actor embodying whatever that history may be. And that's kind of all I ask. I don't, I don't need you to bleed on the screen in front of us to tell us your, your sob story. And, um, and I love that you, that you're, you're saying that about the Joker because I feel you on that. I don't know if I ever want to know where he came from. You know, yeah, 
And I mean, I'm I'm still probably going to see this this Joker Joker solo movie. Um, but yeah, it's and I don't want to be the person like, do we need this? Because like, really, do we need any you know film or you know? <laughs> so I don't want to be that person. But the I think the one thing that that sets the Joker apart, you know, from any other typical superhero villain, is that he has no real end game because you know Alfred says that some men just want to watch the world world burn. Sure, and that's sort of become the tagline of that movie, and that's actually very realistic. That, yeah, that's and realistic because of that line. Because of that line, people is sort of assume that the Joker's actions are completely random, even though they're premeditated as all hell. Yeah. Because the Joker sort of delights in seeing how people react or behave in certain situations. Like, he tests Batman. He offers the multi- ultimatum to either turn himself in or watch people die every day. He doesn't. Um, and in doing this, the Joker, whether he knows it or not, is testing his, you know, Batman sort of sense of identity. So he, it's like he's he's pushing the right buttons on every and every person. I think that's that's just really interesting, and that's completely enough for me to sort of get why he does the, the things he does. I appreciate that. He explains that. his motive. He explains his motivations, not how he came to think like that. That's awesome. I love that. I love that take on it. Because I think about like other big evils and things like in um, Twin Peaks, the return where David Lynch returns to his material. And he says, you know, I, I decoded that. I think rightly the return as the, the evil was the splitting of the atom in the fifties and it created this evil. And there was a call and response to evil on the earth. And I loved how, Man created chaos and the universe created a response. And I feel like Mm. the Joker kind of felt very much the same way that did. It wasn't random. There is an order to evil. It may feel like chaos, but even chaos has its own order to it. And I feel like that call and response is what the Joker is. I think he has a plan. Um, And I do see that response. Whereas the chaotic disordered response would be say a Joffrey Baratheon on Game of Thrones where you just have a psychopath reacting badly to stimuli and just creating evil shit because they're bored and they're just evil shits and has to be dealt Mm -hmm. with and he's based on you know what 15th century uh, Britain where you had a bunch of like fucking motherfuckers running amok who People had to do some shit to take them down. So even within that randomness, there was an ordered response to the villain. So I was looking at the villain. Like I go, I have to say, I don't know how you guys are, but I'm not, I'm not a fan of heroes. I came here just to, I wanted to do this podcast with you guys just to say, I love me some villains all day, but I'm just not a fan of heroes at all. I think they're boring as shit. And the more vanilla the hero, the more I will just avoid, like, taking something Mm. in. I think that's why I've just not been into, like, Superman and Batman or... I'm like, I'll show up when I know who's going to kick your ass. Yeah. And then I showed up for that whole Bane thing and was like, okay, I know you explained it to me, but still bored. Yeah. I think, think, like, morally gray... Heroes and protagonists are definitely, definitely way something more interesting. We, way, yeah, way more interesting. Um, no one really wants to watch like a Jesus Christ figure because you know it's it's all it, it, at a certain point just sort of all becomes predictable. 
Um, I mean, just yeah, it's just boring. Like just a Boy Scout showing yeah. up to do good. That's yeah. why. I think, and I think that's why. I think that's one. You know, that's Professor the reason Snape why Black Panther also works a lot. Is my favorite. Um, there's something about Snape that we've all kind of latched onto in the Harry Potter universe is because. On the one hand, he feels like the villain. On the other hand, he feels like a protector. He's got so many layers, and they don't even give us a fucking origin story of Snape. Not really. And I, and I really. feel like... Not really, because I, that actor is so amazing and showed up for that and, and, and you know, gone too soon. Wasn't... Yeah. But wasn't he... He was in love with Harry Potter's mother, right? Yes, yes. Yes. But they just didn't get, they didn't have to pile it on. They just kind of let us know that it's happening, right? Well, here's, here's another one that, oh, go ahead. No, I I was just agreeing. Go ahead. There's something that was sort of interesting because we're talking about, you know, these multi uh, dimensional villains. What about Philip and Elizabeth Jennings from the Americans? Yeah, they're definitely the bad guys in our book. But they, they are like, we, we're we're sitting there rooting for them the whole season, and they're heroes in Russia. Yeah, and they're like fucking and killing their way across America. Yeah, but we're like, are they going to be okay? Are they going to make yeah. it through this Dude, mission? They broke. He broke a bitch across his back he and stuffed her in a his, suitcase. Yeah. And we're going. I hope they're okay. I'm like, <laughs> see, see those. I mean that that. I mean because we don't get like like in. When you think about it, like in like you don't have the time in a a, a feature film, and, you know there's always exceptions. Like you mentioned Killmonger, but a lot of yeah. feature film um, villains are. I mean, you don't have the time to get into their backstory. Right, like Commodious Gladiator, obviously a bad guy. Joaquin Phoenix fucked up her and shit, trying to fuck his sister, trying to be all weird. Like you get it, he gotta die. You're rooting for uh, for uh, what's his head? Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe. They hit him in the head with like a, a phone, rotary phone. Uh, like you're wanting that to happen, but and that was like that was a, of a certain time and and i think there's people who still want to gravitate toward that but i love me the americans because you're so conflicted if you're a russian they're heroes if you're an american they're usurping our entire democracy while trying to raise their children right in a way where they they can survive in or Amer- fucking them up, fucking them over at the last minute yeah yeah well, it's a, it's interesting because the the thought process behind like a lot of like the blockbuster villains is that okay, so we either dedicate screen time to like show flashbacks to their childhood and and explain to the audience why he or she is the way she is, or we make them super over the top, put them in really dark settings, and make it really obvious that they're evil. Or you trust like your that. actor, or you trust your actor, like. Oh, please help me. Who played Snape? I know him so. Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman, Alan Rickman showed up to. He's a. He's a. He's a fucking rock star. He owned this character. He played the shit out of it. He didn't need yes. that origin story. He just showed yeah. up and he just was this guy. And we were heartbroken when we lost him yeah. and on screen yeah. and in real life because. 
I think what this comes down to for me, again, as a writer, I can only put the blueprint down and what the director and the actor do with the material beyond that. I have no control over unless I'm actually directing that episode or directing that film, right? So, and I've never had that privilege. To be honest, I've never gotten to direct anything on a larger scale than the smaller stuff I did coming up. So, but you, you, you hire a guy like that, you hire Rickman to come in and you don't need all that bullshit. You don't need him to sit here and like read his diary out loud to you. So I think for me also, the second part of making a villain is, okay, I'm going to write something that's complicated and then I'm, you know, I'm not going to tell you, I'm going to try to put it in the performance. I'm going to try to give you as many hints as possible because I think we can all relate to our darker nature. We can all relate to falling down. I think where I don't appreciate mm-hmm. it is where there's just like the, the bad get the white hat and the black hat. And that's how it's played. Like I, I agree with you. The gray is where I like to live. The plaid is where I like to live. And I want to understand my enemy. That's why later after yeah. the propaganda of world war two, and there was this resurgent in the early aughts of making films about world war two from a different perspective, late nineties, like Band of Brothers and Saving Private Ryan and Flags of Our Fathers, where all of a sudden we're hearing what the the Japanese have to say. They're not just the gooks on, over the hill. Yeah, they're not just the Japs. They're people who were terrified that we were going to rape and murder them all, and we dropped two bombs on the Japanese, Nagasaki, Hiroshima, and. Later on, someone started making sense of those stories when it wasn't propaganda. And I feel like that's when I started relating to just our personhood in stories where someone's just like ultimately evil. And you're just fighting that ultimately evil thing. I'm just I don't know. I just I don't I feel like it's a sort of a disservice to your viewer. The viewer is a lot more sophisticated than that these days. Right. Am I saying that wrong? Yeah. No, no, I agree. I, th- I think I think viewers today want to see something that exists outside of the binary morality. I think that's why. And remind me to go back to Saint because there's there's something I want to talk about yes, there. Yes, please, please. But please. I think I think that this is why I'm really loving what they're doing with the new Star Wars trilogy because before it was very much Jedi or Sith, light and dark, and now this new trilogy, especially the Last Jedi, is starting to blur the lines. Between, you know, is Rey going to come to the dark side? Is Kylo going to go to the light side? Can they exist somewhere in between? I love. I think that's really interesting. I love. But but going going back to Snape, I have I have mixed feelings about uh, Snape and his intentions. I I sort of I have a complicated sort of I guess personal philosophy when it comes to like forgiving villains or like should every villain deserve like some sort of redemption arc? I think with Snape, it, it, it makes sense. The things he does in, in the books, you know, for, you know, his love of Lily, but there are also some people that are like, yeah, like he was brave and everything, but also he like terrorized kids on a daily basis. Sure. And, and not just Harry Potter, like literally everyone, he just terrorized him on a a daily basis. And it's also interesting too, because Alan Rickman was told by J.K. Rowling while they were filming the first movie that Snape was in love and Lily. And that's why 
he he behaves towards Harry the way he does, mm. and he he carried that secret with him because like the cast and crew were trying to like get it out of him. He's like, nope, nope, this is just me. This huh. is just me. This is what I have to know to play this character right. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so Snape mm. mixed mixed back for me. I I loved Alan Rickman. I think there was literally no one else to play that that role. Um, but yeah. That's, that's my two cents. Yeah, okay. There, and, and I appreciate that. I appreciate that perspective all day long. I guess it kind of come. It brings to mind like the character of Loki. Um, kind of yes. I love Loki yeah. so much. Yeah. I yes, love that he's too. just a bad boy. I mean, I think we love him for being just a bad motherfucker. <laughs> he's such a fucking troublemaker. He's got jokes, too. He's got jokes. He's, he's very jokes. charming. He's a drama queen. He's a drama queen. There's no way that motherfucker's just 100% straight. Um, no way. <laughs> he's I, like... I just can't... I can't believe that... he He's so, like, comically vain. Like, I can't believe he, like, pretended to be his father. I know. To be king. So he could <laughs> put on right. a community... Muni theater production of his death. <laughs> and... <laughs> Props out to uh, Matt Damon for like playing along with that shit and all the other people who participated. Oh my god, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I love that I love like that Loki cast someone like Matt Damon and then for Thor he just got some like B <laughs> B role. He just got some guy to your generation that <laughs> and to us guy. it's just kinda like also rand. It's like there's so much shade going on in the casting of Matt Damon. It's like there's so much shade there. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, and I mean again, like I love characters like it doesn't always have to be like this heavy duty character. I mean, Loki kind of reminds me of Beetlejuice. Um, mm, Beetlejuice is one of these characters who is just a problematic, like troll who just wants to just fuck with everybody. And we don't never know his origin story either, but he's just so fun. He's such a fun villain. We're having such a good time with him. Like we have a good time with Yondu. Um, these are characters that I just, I love. I actually even love the fucking Dursleys because they're just so deliciously flawed and stupid. Well, maybe a little bit more evil. They kind of, maybe they, well, I want to take that back. The Dursleys are kind of assholes. So I kind of fall in the Dolores Umbridge kind of vein of evilness. Yeah. They're no fun. Yeah. They the Dursleys practically like abused Harry. Like, they basically yeah. did. They abused um, the kid. But I think like Rita Skeeter. I think I'm like, thinking about more, more Rita Skeeter kind of falls in that. She's kind of vicious. She's like fake news. She's the Fox News of like the Harry Potter world. She's kind of oh also God, that's fun. That's the best way to put it. <laughs> yeah. She, she's basically Fox News. She's like, she's Hannity. She's fucking yeah. Sean Hannity, you know? <laughs> That's who she is. She's just well, making shit up. While we're on the, the Harry Potter subject, like Voldemort as a villain. Yes. Um, we we sort of get an origin story, but me as a diehard Harry Potter fan, mm-hmm. I don't see that anything in his in his origin story sort of geared him to the to the man he grew up to be because i'm i was always sort of in the firm believer and the films sort of invalidated this a little bit but i sort of believe that tom riddle was like not always evil i don't think so either i think he was troubled and he didn't have the resources to sort of help sort of help him with it and when he got to hogwarts it sort of became even more exacerbated um, you know, and he could see like the full extent of his power and how he can, you know, manipulate people. So, but again, we get an origin story, but it doesn't really explain 
why it is. And that's not even like the story's fault. It just sort of goes to show that an origin story is not going to always explain everything about your villain. Nor, nor should it. I, I can't, I, and this is so ironic that we're having this conversation because I'm at the very end of my, the very first book I've ever written. And, and I have to end my story in a, in a compelling way. And boy, I thought ending a screenplay was difficult. One of the hardest things, cause people will like fucking razor straight, cut you up, up, up ear to ear. If you have the wrong ending in a screenplay, a novel is weird because it's 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 even it's the same kind of landing, and so I'm sitting here trying not to place the blame on someone because I don't I believe in third dimensional villains. Even if I don't explain to you their origin story, their backstory, I have to put it on the page in some way. So literally today, I'm sitting here wrestling with this of of who is going to do the damage to my main character and why, and I want them to have noble reasons. I want to be able to argue on their behalf and to the readers of this book of like, well, this is why he did it. This is exactly why he did this. And, Mm -hmm. um, it's a lot harder. It's easier than it looks because, uh, I've been investing in villains for a long time. I've been doing the, there's an exercise you used to do for a good many years, almost a year and a half, frankly, I do two a days and where I would do two pages, two characters, and I would write for uh, 20 minutes. And I would not have a prefixed idea of what was going to happen and where I was going to go. And, and that, it, that teaches you to you use your muscle memory. You sit down. You're, you're into a discipline of writing. Uh, yeah. it, it mimics a tiny drop in the bucket of what you would do to get an MFA. They require you to write a screenplay you know, in a certain amount of time. So daily writing is a huge thing. And I started focusing, okay, so today my two-a-day is going to be write a villain, write a hero, write an also-ran character and stuff like that. And that's where a lot of these characters that I end up using and other stuff come from. But when it came to, like, writing who was going to spoil my main character's good run, I just didn't want it to be a guy with just some basic bitch grudge. So I'm yeah. in the throes of this today because I've never written a novel. And I've been pondering the subject all day long in anticipation of us eventually doing a podcast. I didn't know it was going to be tonight. And in my particular case, which is humanist sci-fi, I do, even if I don't put it on the page, I have to offer you guys an explanation if you ever were to ask me, like, well, why did this person do what they did? Yeah. Um, and I see... That some people didn't think about that when they wrote a villain. I think some people, it was funny. It was convenient. And some people may have like a whole backstory to like say Anton Chigur from No Country for Old Men. The Coen brothers may know exactly uh, why that guy is this unstoppable bad man. He is like every villain they've ever had in every movie they've ever done. The unstoppable bad man. The formidable evil that just comes in the night and it's like a tank. But what is that? Is that the world? Is that, is it symbolic? Does Anton have a real story? Um, these kinds of things are weird to ponder. And I don't think they fall into one category. Like, can can you compare the wicked witch of the West with Tony Montana and Scarface? Of yeah, course you well can. That, that, that sort of begins to blur the lines between like the difference differences between a villain and an antagonist. Exactly. Um, which are not always interchangeable. Like, um, I'm trying to think of something off the top of my head. Uh, I can't think of anything. That's um, fine. But it's okay. an, an antagonist, like, 
basically anyone that presents co- any sort of conflict to your protagonist. And it doesn't always have to be evil either. No. It's just something that the protagonist sort of has to, you know, get over and overcome. And I think those stories are particularly tricky to write. Yeah. And it can come off very, like, flimsy. Like, if the conflict mm-hmm. isn't strong enough, then you're not going to sort of realize that they're a villain. I, I don't, um, also, I wouldn't recommend writing from that place, though, by the way. Honestly say, just invent your world and stick to it and don't do a timeline. We'll do an entire podcast on what I believe about writing, but I haven't proven anything to the world, so why should you listen to me? But I just think, just, if you want to have a good time at writing, I just think I wouldn't even write from that place. I I, I would actually... Don't try to defend your character. Just make them true to their own heart. You know? Hmm. Like, HAL 9000 in 2001 A Space Odyssey was a machine. Uh, An AI that probably grew a little bit beyond its original programmed data. And, and, And took it very personally when Dave wanted to shut him down. So, there's arguments to be made for... You know, like you say, antagonist, villain, the greater good, ultimately the hero. I guess it depends on what side of the fire you're sitting on. Yeah. But I would say it's kind of it's kind of confusing for me to say this, but I want to entertain my audience. That is my job. But I also want to tell the real true story from the character's perspective, specifically the villain. My characters, this Mm. is going to sound really nuts. A lot of people say it this way. It is true. When I start writing a character, they talk to me. And I start writing stuff for them to do and say, and they're like, I don't want to do that. That's personal. You can't talk about that. Or that's not right about me. Or I don't think anybody needs to know that right now. And I feel like you should listen to your characters. And I feel like some of my favorites came from this place. I can't ever know where they came from, but that's how I feel about the process. I sit and think upon them. Writing is thinking. The rest of it is just fucking typing. But I think upon Mm. them and I ask them, you know, hey, what do you want to do? And I have this one kid who, who does some shit. And I've been having a conversation with this kid all day long. He's like, well, why do I do this? Why do I want this to happen? Why is this my responsibility? Nobody's going to like me if I do this. And I've been wrestling with this kid all day long. And I don't have any answers for him. And that's what I want to mm-hmm. feel like I'm watching ultimately or reading on the page in a book or listening into an audio book or hearing in a song. Is that somebody took the time to ask that villain why he broke bad? Um, because somebody let that person down, somebody did something and their response was right or wrong, good, bad, or ugly. But I feel like it's a response. I feel like creating a villain ultimately is a reaction to a stimulus that was not right on the money. Mm. Did I say that right? Yeah, because in, in, in real life. You know, and just, and I'm not, I'm not calling people villains, but in real life, when someone breaks bad, it could be just the smallest thing. Usually the smallest. And it just sets them off on a course where it's tragic. 
Mm-hmm. Did we kill the conversation? By <laughs> no. no. <laughs> I think about characters like um, Maleficent. I think about her a lot. Like, you know, Wicked came out and kind of told that other side of the story. And I was like, oh, fuck. That bitch <laughs> just struggled in the shadow. And then Frozen came out. Yeah. You know, and, and even more forwarded this conversation. And I loved Frozen. I mean, I know I, I don't want to ever hear that song again either. Um, <laughs> however, I enjoy, I enjoyed, and I'm not even a Disney person. Ian can tell you. I, I'm not anti-Disney. I just didn't grow up with it. We were just poor. We didn't know what the fuck that was. We went to Six Flags or a lake, went up Ahsoka, whatever. Um, so I'm not, not a big Disney person. And I go there and I just think, it's nasty. I had to run away from here. It's very expensive. Fuck that. I don't want crowds. But just looking at the story, though, I was like, this is one of the first Disney properties that came along in a long time, besides the brown girl who lived in New Orleans who was a princess, whatever that one was called. I appreciated that one. Um, I was just like, they're getting to tell the girl's story of like, dude, I was cursed with this thing and nobody heard me. And then my parents took this bullshit fucking badly booked journey across the ocean. Probably when yeah. they shouldn't have been on the ocean that time of year. Cause the seas were rising and it was climate change and shit. And they fucking died. And I got I can't touch my sister. Cause I'm like, turn her into like a fucking stone and shit. And so y'all like want me to play with her and rule the kingdom and fuck you. <laughs> and I was like, I totally felt this bitch's rage. I was like, so is she a villain or is she just trying to live her life and everybody's got their hands in her pocket? That's my favorite character. Yeah. That's my favorite villain. Like Tony mm. Soprano. Tony Soprano's mama, she was straight razor crazy. He was born into the game. He couldn't get out of the game. He inherited the game. And Livia made him fucking crazy. He started having black eye attacks, goes to a psychologist. And she's giving him this easy peasy advice. Like, well, you just need to get out. I'm in the fucking mob, bitch. I can't just clock out. So it's like, and Elsa can't just go, oh, yeah, and I'm just going to put my powers down. I'm going to mm. sit in my room. What's the thing about like? And meanwhile, her fucking sister's over here running amok, just falls in love with the first motherfucker she sees. And she's like, <laughs> bitch, yeah. calm down. I was over here thinking about shit for a minute, but no, he he looked at me and like we're in love, and she's like, "Oh my god, girl." <laughs> so, yeah, I'm more on the side probably of the villain than I am of the hero because heroes are boring. And also, I will say this big blanket statement: y'all come for me. I'm ready for you. This ideologizing, ideological uh, view of like the, what the hero is, I don't agree with it. What y'all call doing good. That has been whitewashed. Yeah. That, I mean, that's, that's somebody's, you know, uh, moral compass when it's not everyone's true north. Why your kingdom mm. got to be white? You know, why does this have to be right? Yeah. That's whatever, whatever this rightness is, mm-hmm. because when you think about it, 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 disavows a lot of other mm-hmm. ways of looking at things. Mm-hmm. We just start from 
This is the story that was handed down from Hans Christian Andersen, whatever, exactly. blah, 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 blah. This is how it's got to be. And then we'll throw a brown guy in and like the third season and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, bitch, the story has always been brown. Y'all yeah. just sort of interceded and jumped in the middle of it. Why do I have to accept a Judeo-Christian Anglo-Saxon point of view of what is right? Fuck yeah. So word. Because I'm neither. That's I'm deep. none of those. <laughs> That is deep. I'm just saying, like, let's just start like the color of our villains. You know, that's why I was just like so praising Killmonger. We had a black hero. We also had had his counterpart going, yo, and, and he had a fucking point. That's and, why I was a stand off all my fucking feet going, finally. And it made a billion dollars for Disney. Yeah. See, see, here's the thing. Y'all want to argue about why it's all inclusion and why you're all just blah, 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 because it makes a lot of money. If you don't hear any of the other stuff about it, it's just right and that most of the United States is not white. Guys, it's just not white. Um, the majority of the ethnicity in the United States is not. Look at the census numbers. We're being represented by people who are majority white, old white dudes. This is why it made a billion dollars is because the people who are out there who can spend the money and focus on this are not you. And, and, and the brilliant thing about that was – you know, it wasn't your villain. It wasn't your Darth Vader coming to the light. Mm-mm. It was actually T'Challa changing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Killmonger. Killmonger died with his beliefs. He it, died. It yeah, remained exactly. unwavering. He died with his beliefs. He didn't even yeah. change. His arc was just like straight line. This is what I believe in. I'm going to die for this. Right. And he called yeah. yourself a king. Yeah. It was that challenge yeah. scene that moved me. He was like, who the fuck are you, motherfucker? Mm-hmm. I've been in Oakland doing this bullshit forever. You know? Yeah. Fuck you, dude. Yeah. I was like, wow. I'd rather die than live in chains. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that movie deals also a lot with, like, government passivity. And, um, you know, T'Challa's friend, Wakabi, at the very beginning of the movie, he says, if we start bringing in refugees, they're just going to bring their problems with them. And when I watched that, I was like, oh, we're we're going this way. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Wakanda isn't like this utopian sort of society. Everyone sort of, gets, you know, it, that was interesting. But they I were mean, like, like apart yeah. from, apart from the, you know, the great like strides this movie makes in representation it's just a pretty great fucking movie too it really is and ryan kluger really prioritized that because i'm in every interview he says is that when we started out making this movie we had we had two concerns first is make a good movie and then second is give the audience characters that it can relate to yeah particularly you know you're you know black audiences as this is set in a fictional African nation. But I mean, like that's sort of what you're saying about like the heroes is also really good when you're talking about villains that, that think they're doing what's best for the world as, as the same thing that heroes are doing. So like, um, like going not to go back to the Joker or anything, but he's doing what he, he believes he's doing because he thinks anarchy is the natural order. It should be this way. Exactly. Blah, 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 blah. And yeah. who are we to say that? I mean, it, this sounds really radical, but who are we to say that that's the wrong thing? We, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's really, it's really great when you can put your audience in that really uncomfortable position on sort of teetering on which side they want to agree with. Well, okay. It's a lot more interesting than having that sort of binary mor- morality. Exactly. I, I want to say something also controversial. My favorite hero in any given movie in the alien series is a xenomorph. 
kill them motherfuckers. <laughs> this is this is the universe going, man sucks. We gave you a shot. You came and you like raised the temperature of the seas. You created all this bad shit. You have rape and trafficking and drugs and you don't respect the animals of the earth and you don't recycle and your pieces of fucking shit that just you're still surprised by your own genitals. You fucking backward monkeys that's why i love the xenomorph i want her to kill everybody on this fucking planet for all the movies going forward i consider her not a villain at all and every time that bitch killed anybody on the ship except for sigourney weaver because she's awesome i love i love her or the cat don't kill the cat or sigourney weaver everybody else i cheered all of those deaths i know this controversial but i'm saying we suck as human beings yeah because we yeah. think we just talk about forget ethnicity for a minute. We as human beings, as a species, we yes. suck. Yeah. We fucking suck. So my favorite hero, like to date, besides Hal Nine Thousand, is like Xenomorph. Just kill all these motherfuckers. It makes it calms me down. I mean, that's probably something. That, I mean, a good psychiatrist probably tell me there's something about myself, but. Mm. I'm just like human beings are just like they're so they think it's all about them. And I'm going to tell you, Neil deGrasse Tyson will tell you all day long. This planet, this 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 universe is trying to kill you. And it's not trying to kill you out of some. It's like, not personal. It's not personal. It just don't give a shit. It's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I have a, I have a really good example of the um, sort of like gray morality, but. Um, have you have you ever watched um, this? It's um, I'm gonna say kids TV show because it's what it is. It's uh, Avatar: The Last Airbender. I've heard about it so yeah, many we, times. We watched we watched part of it. The person for uh, half of the first season, I yeah. want to say, I liked it yeah. a lot. Yeah, well, they they had like a, a follow up series sequel, and it was called The Legend of Korra. And um, in the first season. The they have like the the perfect example of like should we agree with the hero or the villain because the villain in that series just to give like sort of a cliff notes version of this world there are people in the world that are called benders and they can manipulate like the four elements air water earth and fire and there are other people that are non benders that are just normal people like us trying to live in this world and um so there here comes this villain Amon. And he has the ability to take someone's bending away from them. And he believes that benders have been oppressing non-benders for generations that they have been the cause of every war and every big conflict. And he's not wrong. And he believes that he needs to equalize everything. He wants to take every bender's ability away so that everyone is on an equal playing field and so benders can stop oppressing non-benders because the governments are made up of benders everything is being represented by benders and i'm like apart from like the real obvious social commentary this show is going for in a kid's show i might add wow that's a really interesting conflict that's kind of fucking profound man yeah, it is I, I I hear I've, about it so I often. I'm like, I know I need to go and like get into it, but like that that got that makes me want to watch it. Yeah, I I I will tell everyone listening right now. I know it's like technically a kid show, but Avatar: The Last Airbender and the sequel series, The Legend of Korra, has 
like superb storytelling a lot better than most of the shit that's out there right now and it's a kid's show and sometimes it shows you know it's a little silly from time to time but for the most part it's pretty fucking mature and pretty much anyone can enjoy it i would highly recommend it i never shit on kids shows or young adult stuff man i mean i gotta tell you kids tell their truth they just get it beat out of them as they get older. So I am never going to shit on something that's called a so-called kid show. So I'm with you. You got me talked into it, man. I'm all about it, yo. Um, I mean, I, sw- I swear it has some of the best like character arcs. Has really great fucking music. It's just like. Oh, I can't. Be- I can't believe it. We can so always good. circle back around and do a podcast on it. I mean, like, I don't. I mean, why not? You know, there's no limitations Ugh, on what we I can do. Love that. Oh, of course. That. Let me just go do it. It's gonna take me a minute. Gotta catch up. <laughs> I would probably be more into that than Penny Dreadful. He really would. Like Ian's still struggling with Penny <laughs> Dreadful. I'm like, so I'm, you and I could do a Penny Dreadful podcast like tomorrow. Ian's just like, <sighs> he's just drifting off. Um, so we may just do that and just get it done. I don't know what it is. But I mean, like, I need to watch it because you were talking about... So good. You were talking about, what's her name, being uh, a villain? Um, Vanessa, Vanessa. I'm like, okay, wh- okay I'm, into, I'm down for that. Where does that happen? She's my kind of villain because I think that she represents, for me, my favorite villain is that she's holding the darkness from the light and vice versa. I think that there's these people who are tasked with, in storytelling, in good storytelling, with holding the door. Uh, you can go to the obvious example in Game of Thrones of Hodor, um, but she is our Hodor in in uh, in Penny Dreadful. She's just saying a thousand more words than just the one thing. Hodor. She she basically is Hodor in Game of Thrones. Hmm. Somebody can come and challenge me on that all day long. I will take you on. Come on this podcast. It will be friendly. I will love you. I will hug your <laughs> neck digitally. But I'm just saying that Vanessa Ives is the Hodor. Of Penny Dreadful because she's keeping um, the evil at bay, and she's doing oh, it with a thousand right. more words. She is—that's what I know about my girl, and I will defend it all day long. I will <laughs> see you in the streets. Um, yeah, uh, we can talk about villains, but I think the—I think it's a personal taste. If you just like your villains to just sort of like show up and just be the bad guy, and then and then your satisfaction is seeing good defeat evil, there is no shame in that game either. Um, I, do, yeah. I don't want to yeah. judge that at all. I just personally, I feel like I relate more to the the termites. Of Terminus and The Walking Dead than say the governor. I find their mm. their story, short as it was, way more engaging than say somebody didn't touch my pee pee when I worked for IBM when the world was normal and now I'm just gonna like put heads and tanks in my living room. It made no sense. Like the governor's whole fucking backstory, I was like Okay, and then you kept your daughter Penny alive, and she was just like, I, 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 I. I'm like, I get it. I mean, I understood you can't let go because, like, the Morgan character had the same problem in the beginning. He didn't keep the bitch in the basement. But I'm just saying, I get that you, like, had a hard time letting go, but the whole creating of Woodbury did not, I wasn't tracking with it, you know, as opposed to other takes on, you know what I'm saying? Like, I just didn't. Sure, yeah, yeah. The, termini- the termites were like, 
we were victims before, and then we overtook our captors, and then and we... that's why we, we become this. History yeah. repeated itself because uh, nobody was writing shit down, and we just needed that. Now we're going to... It's Lord of the Flies kind yeah, of shit, right? Exactly. And yeah. uh, that made a whole lot of sense to me over, say, the governor or who are the other... Or uh, even Negan. The, Negan, just, Negan. He bores the piss out of me. Yeah. I don't know. He's well, a gym he, teacher whose wife turned, and he couldn't kill her, and... His backstory is, I haven't read the full backstory. I've read the majority of it, I would have to say. And I just, I don't care. Well, here, here's the thing. Again, bringing everything back to The Walking Dead. <laughs> Every here's the single thing. fucking here. time. <laughs> it's here's my fault. It's just going to be like Walking Dead and Black Panther, like all the time. Like, we're Let's just letting it. you guys know right That's now. That's fine. It'll be our um, thing. <laughs> but the thing with The Walking Dead is because you have, like, characters before like shit hit the fan and then you have it after with Negan it's like I'm sure he wasn't this like swagger guy carrying around a bat with barbed wire around it before this whole apocalypse thing went down and going Rick like (laughs) Rick what's going on let me monologue and, but I think that that's one of those that's one of those villains that that sort of needs. I want to know how he became like the leader of the sanctuary. I want to know what he had to go through to be in the position of power he is now. And <clears throat> I guess it gets touched on in the comics, but I honestly I I don't want to I I'm not a comic book guy. I just want to see it on the television. And I mean, like as the show's going now, we're getting farther farther away from that, and that's good because I'm sort of like tired of Negan at this point. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. So it's like you gotta ask yourself: like, it's either the villain needs an origin story. It's helpful to have an origin story to sort of explain it, Um, and then you have the Joker, where you don't need an origin story because you understand perfectly well what his intentions are and why he does things. Can I explain naked in one word? Just one word: bedwetter. (laughs) As a person who wet the bed for a long time. I think until eighth grade, it created a whole type of series of feelings. And I feel like because I was so one note monologuing, wearing leather jackets in the southern heat and 100 percent humidity. I shared this with Negan. (laughs) I also shared this with Eugene. I had a mullet up until like sophomore year in college. I can just tell you it just comes down to bedwetting and I'm not shaming bedwetters. Um, I feel you. I think sometimes, uh, on many a night when I've had way too many cocktails and may return, uh, to this proclivity, but I'm just saying, I think it's going to come down to something as simple as that. I don't think that Kirkman has the imagination to give us, uh, what made Megan Negan. Here, here. I, I, I fully agree with you. It's just bullshit. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't think Kirkman has the imagination. He's just, to he's, give us why. He's just bullshit. And I, I mean, look. Hey, he's he's doing shit and he's making his money, but I I just I I'm sorry. Making money doesn't mean you're a successful story writer. Yeah, <laughs> I said it. You know, uh, and just because it's popular doesn't mean that it's. And again, I'm not shitting on The Walking Dead success. Get your money. Get your money. I said this to the Kardashians all fucking day. Everybody, get your money. Get your fucking money, okay? As long as you're not hurting anybody, enslaving anybody, breaking the laws. And even then, if you are, just don't get caught. 
As long as you're not hurting anybody, get your money. But seriously, don't sit here and try to tell me that you're creating some three-dimensional fucking character when I just know it just comes out of bedwetting, dude. It's a boring-ass motherfucking character. And I'm so disappointed in Jeff sometimes. I love Jeff. I'm, I'm glad you're having a good life. You're tired. You've been working for a long time. You deserve a break. Yeah. But I don't play with your mini donkey on your farm. Dude, I love you. I just... No. Um, I... You know, there's stories, there's characters like Al Swearingen on uh, Deadwood. And he does tell us through monologue where he came from, you know, son of a whore. And this is how blah, blah, blah. And he kind of overplays his hand. And I actually cotton to him more than, say, a Negan. He feels like a Negan because he's, you know, gold rush era, South Dakota, came from England, grew up in a brothel, becomes a brothel owner, becomes a pimp and a saloon owner and trying to stake his claim in the new America territory with Indian threats and blah, blah, blah. I feel like there's more blood in the man uh, of the veins of this character than say a Negan who was like a failed, you know, a gym coach whose wife had cancer and then she turned and he couldn't kill her. If that's all you're going to bring to the party, then fuck off. Let's go look at Al Swearingen as a better villain than that. Well, you, I mean, I mean, again, it's it's. First of all, we have to say Ian McShane. Mm. But let's look about Mr. Mr. Wednesday. Oh, peace and I mean, love. What about him as a villain? Yeah, American Gods as a beautiful villain. He's sort of he's kind of like a a villain hero. Yeah, but ultimately like, the villain. I don't want to spoil it for you guys. Again, he's living in that like yeah. he's doing things where he's Odin. Yeah, Odin is Odin wants to be the hero of his story, but he's ultimately just a motherfucker. You know, same thing with Easter and media and. Yeah, American Gods. That first season, it has, it's off the chain. I loved it because of the um, the LGBTQI aspect. I loved that we had the Jen getting it on with his boyfriend. But that's just me. I'm a chaos maker. Uh, I've have I stopped you talking? Have I cut you off, Andre? Have I? No. no. Okay. Word. Um. I, I mean, I have a list of my favorite characters that I could always say, like Tyler, Tyler Durden and Pennywise. And, you know, I even love Biff from Back to the Future. And I love them for different reasons. I mean, I love Godzilla. I love Godzilla because Godzilla would just come through and go, you guys are polluting the earth. I'm going to stomp everything into dust. Fuck you. I'm going to fight Mothra. Everybody's going to die. I love that. Again, like I love Godzilla the way I love the Xenomorph. He's just like, you guys have fucked this up so badly with your nuclear blah, blah, blah and your shit. I am just going to like come from the bowels of the core of the center of the earth and kill a bunch of you motherfuckers and just sort of like decrease the population by 20%, you know, for a minute. I kind of love those kind of characters just philosophically. But then I can think of characters that are like so well done, like Brad Pitt in Californication with California, not Californication, but California with a K. And he plays a villain that, that's very chilling that you should check out. It's a very, it's, he was with Juliet Lewis at the time. It's back in the 80s. It's a film you should see. It's a very well-formed villain. He reminds me of Frank Booth from Blue Velvet. He conjures um, a couple of other characters like that that are just evil incarnate and again we have we're not getting to the horror genre on this podcast there's like jason and there's 
there's so many other killers. And because that's not my forte, I don't go there. But there's, for me, it's more of a character study in, in those types of, of stories over, say, like a yeah. guy who just shows up to beat a bunch of teenagers to death in the woods with a log because they're fucking. I just don't really get the point of all that. I know it's fun, but it's not like, <laughs> it's not my jam. We're going to fuck. I'm going to kill you. I mean, I know that that's a, that's not my thing. I don't judge you. Eat your pudding. Do yeah. whatever you want. <laughs> well, what about, what about even like a, a villain like Thanos that he, yeah. he, he's sort of taking it upon himself. He thinks it's his destiny. So it's sort of fix this problem of overpopulation across the whole universe. And he wants to have, you know, um, wipe out half of the population on each planet so that there can be more resources and, and there's less suffering. Is it unpopular um, that I agree with Thanos? I mean, evolution. I mean, again, it's like teetering the line between like, you know, sanity or insanity, right or wrong, you know, who are the Avengers to stop this from happening? Maybe the, and this is, this is what I was saying when I was talking about people for the, like the next movie. What if we come back into this, you know, Avengers four, what if the earth is like thriving because this has happened? Right. What if the, what if the earth is like actually prospering from like getting half of their population wiped out and the Avengers had to like sort of, convince everyone that this is not the way and we should go back and fix this because we lost a bunch of people and like who are we to do this right that's like that could be so interesting yeah well i mean but here's here's the other thing as well thanos does doesn't get a backstory but at the same time i completely understand his motivation he thinks it's his destiny and he's he's not called the reasonable logic goal titan he's called the mad titan he's doing doing things because this he thinks is his destiny a lot of people are saying well why don't you just make more resources with your infinity gauntlet i mean like again not the logical reasonable titan he's the mad titan I, I kind um, of I'm digging Thanos. Though. I'm sorry, I'm, it's probably a controversial, controversial, um, <laughs> controversial all day. I just kind of don't hate that kind of. Logic. Well, I mean, I haven't even seen it, but I mean that that makes perfect sense. I mean that that is like okay, you know the story of in Yellowstone where the deer population became too great because. We protected the deer. Yeah. And then all of the rest of the ecosystem started to get off balance. So you yeah, totally. To, you have to introduce the wolf. Reintroduce yeah. the wolf. I mean that that makes that makes total sense evolutionary speaking and as far as like natural selection goes, is that and we're going back to what we talked about earlier, is that we as a species, as humans, have become sort of like a virus like in the matrix yeah and have depleted our resources and i'm not talking i I, i'm not you know for um you know you know like i'm not trying to say that we need to 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 be more um what is it you know to 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 euthanize people. I'm not talking about that. I'm sure, talking yeah, about sure, responsibility. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know. Well, again, yeah, it's like the the whole the whole idea of like accountability. Who who should be in charge of deciding what's what's good and wrong, good and bad? Should anyone be in charge of deciding that? Exactly. Um, it, it, because it goes. It, it, definitely goes into a gray area where i don't want to be the person who's saying okay then we need to do this and this is how it should be because i don't think any of us have the right to do that yeah it it just makes for more interesting conflict and i mean like you know some people don't want to think too that hard when they're when they're watching a movie completely fine absolutely fine but like i don't know i really like really adore the idea of you know the gray morality and seeing where the, where the lines are, how blurred the lines are. I think that's just really interesting and fascinating. I think it's where we need to head, and there's going to be, I mean, hopefully, well, we see the the rest the wrestling within um, gaming culture and other areas where people just don't want to give up certain positions. But I feel like there's more, um, talk about the silent majority, I think there's a lot of people who are in fandom who don't speak up because they didn't want to get shouted down by, or they don't want to, I think they just don't want to be bothered, but they do share a lot of the opinions that we've been sharing on this podcast of like, it's not even about representation, it's just undeniable, it's just where the Mm -hmm. thinking is, it's like, we don't, the numbers are falling for a lot of these franchises is because, you know, you're coming from a very specific corner and angle of the place. If you were to change your thinking and come from a different place, um, you'd make bank, you know, you just Mm -hmm. would. And because that's where your audience already lives. Statistically, that's where they live. And it's not because there's a, an abject hate, for the previous culture or the aging out culture. It's just like, I have a good example of this. We were talking about the music from Pose last night when we were doing the podcast. And I said, hey, because, you know, Andre's a composer. You're in the music. You know, you're a sound guy. He's the thing. And I was like, what about the music? And your guys are like, what? And then it just, it dawned on me. He's like, you just weren't, you weren't around. Like you weren't of an age or even you weren't born uh, Andre, and you weren't yeah. of an age where like this would have registered. It wouldn't even. It's not nostalgia for no. you because it didn't exist. Well, I was stuck under the rock of Christendom, right? And there's that too that you didn't get out of your house and you lived basically under a tarp for a set of years. But um, but it's like I'm so. What about the music? And your guys like was that? And I was like, okay, word, you know. And I didn't get offended. I was just like. Yeah, I'm asking you guys to relate to something that you literally can't relate to. So what I say to people who, like, you know, are going forward in the world and are feeling challenged by this, it's like kind of embrace the fact that you're like, oh, not everybody, like, feels that, gets that. It's cool. It's fine. Yeah. It's kind of fun to kind of change with the times. I love it. I love, like, somebody schooling me and going, I know we don't say that anymore. What is that? Or... (laughs) And then you start to explain it to them, and they're just automatically bored. They're like, I don't really want to know all the nomenclature of this thing. I just ask you. I was just being polite. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right. Because when I would, like, talk to my grandparents, and I go, so where did this bowl come? And they would just launch into this long-ass history of living through the Great Depression. Because my grandparents on my mother's side, like, they had a farm in Alabama, and they would just launch into, like, dust bowl discussions and and at the time i'm a child going i am sorry i asked this question yeah because this is never gonna end 
But then I became more interested later and like understood their culture and why they did what they did. But at the time I was like, fuck, I don't, I don't know. But now yeah. I, I appreciate that. Like if somebody doesn't like, I mean, a lot, there's a lot of butthurt boomers and Gen Xers who are like, you don't understand. Let me give you this context. Nobody needs, nobody needs, nobody gives a shit. You know? Well, yeah, it's, it's also a testament of just how, how different people could interpret the same thing. That's right. How differently, you know, cause I mean, I, whether this is, you know, a bad thing or whatever, I tend to surround myself with people that we tend to read on mostly everything when it comes to like, could be anything like, like politics or, you know, just even watching movies, TV shows, like very rarely do we, do we disagree on something and, you know, maybe I should work on that. Maybe I should, you know, start surrounding myself with people who think differently than I do, whatever. But it's more, it's more like I, I have a hard time. It's just how my brain works. Like this, that's how you watched it. You could watch it that way. That's, that's interesting, you know? So, I mean, like, I don't know. It's, and it's hard, like as a writer of this stuff and like as a creator, cause you sort of have to come to terms with the fact that not everyone is going to get it or like it or understand it. Um, and you I just kind of have to, to do, you just kind of have to do the best you can do. It's the same thing with, with music. I have to write music in the knowledge that it's not going to be everyone's favorite song or it's going to hit the top 20 charts, you know? So it, yeah, I can speak to that all day long. I, I, I totally relate to that as a creator of things. I, I, I always just keep some very simple goals in the forefront of my mind. I never want to talk down to my reader and I do want to entertain them, but there are some things that I'm going to probably tell you that, Maybe you're confused about and just go back and read it. Just go back and see it again. I'm not trying to be um, obtuse on purpose. I'm not trying to, and maybe I didn't see it right. And again, I'm still writing this first book. I'm going to send it out to some, Ian's going to read it. My friend Anthony's going to read it. And my cousin's going to read it for three different reasons. And um, hopefully I've done my job. Like it's just entertain my reader, but never speak down to them. And the third thing, and it should be the first thing. And it is probably the first thing is that the character should be true to their to themselves mm-hmm. so sometimes we can answer all the questions about ourselves to each other and i think my favorite villains are people who can't fully account for themselves um my mm-hmm. most favorite villains and i don't even see them as villains i just see them as human beings going through shit which mm-hmm. is longer to say on the page um, that's, that's kind of how I see people, how I see characters, how I, how I relate to stories. And those are the most interesting characters to me. Yeah. Define good and bad, especially in this climate today. <laughs> exactly. Cause that's a slippery fucking slope, you know? Cool. Uh, is there anything anybody wants to plug? Uh, you want to plug our social media real quick? Yes. We didn't do it off the top. Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe we should just stick it to the end. That's fine. I think the, the villains thing was like a really good segue into the conversation. I'm sorry. I, well, that was me rambling. I apologize. people. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm, no, I'm like completely serious. <laughs> but, um, yeah, social media time. Um, thank you guys 
for um, there was one person that left a comment on our on our Twitter. Thank it's you. Very nice. We love that. We love you. Um, so if you want to get into contact with us to comment on either what we discuss on here on the show recovering or anything in general, anything you want us to talk about in the future, you can email us at ashlandpodcast at gmail.com. You can reach us at uh, Twitter on Instagram at ashlandpodcast and on our website, ashlandpodcast.com. And if you leave us feedback, we'll probably read it on the show um, and we'll talk about it there. Um, and always and always leave us a review on itunes if you can sure Uh, it helps the podcast look more legit helps reach more people so we can make more friends basically yeah yeah we love friends and um and if you can also find us on itunes spotify stitcher the website and we're working on getting the google play uh to cooperate with us um we're under review we're under review (laughs) i submitted it today we're under review that's good yeah um yeah anything you want to you want to add lisa i just want to say or like you know and if you want to come on here and talk with us the three of us and just sit down and have a conversation and like disagree with us come on man we'd love to talk to you that'd be fun i want to hear some new viewpoints and stuff like that right I do want to. Yeah. Uh, I want to plug a friend's uh, podcast. It's called the Killing Time Show. There's a lot of Killing Times on iTunes. It can be hard to find, but on Podbean you can find it pretty quickly. It's called the Killing Time Show. It is a sketch comedy podcast. Um, these kids out of Huntsville, Alabama, are putting together this. I think it's very funny and very enjoyable, and uh, other people seem to enjoy it as well. So I want to give a, a, a shout-out to the Killing Time podcast. Please go check it out. I think you can find it on maybe Stitcher. I know on Podbean. Just search it on the fucking internet. Um, it's called, oh, There's an, also a tagline of Comedy A Go-Go and KillingTimeComedy.com uh, is where they live. I've gotten all that wrong, Tina. Please don't kill me. I didn't even ask your permission before I floated your show. But they're, they're delightful human beings um, making their art, and they're having a good time, and they're very clever, and they tell some really funny jokes. And it's also from my old stomping ground, uh, grounds uh, where I started in comedy back in Huntsville, Alabama. So shout out to my homies, and uh, thank y'all for doing the work you do um, embedded in in uh, a deeply... Um, Mostly red steak, sometimes purple, depending on the elections. But uh, shout out to my homies there. Love you guys. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. I think uh, that's all I got to say. You want to take us on out, guys? You guys want to talk on out? Andre, you want to take us out? Yeah. Are we we good on the... I think billions? we're wrapped on that. Yeah, yeah, we're good. Okay, cool. So, yeah, as always, take care of yourselves. Drink water, go to bed at a reasonable time, all that good stuff. And we'll see you guys next time for hopefully Penny Dreadful. (laughs) 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 It's a a bit of a question mark right now. We'll see. Um, (laughs) But yeah, tune tune into that stuff. Leave, Leave us feedback. We love talking to you guys. And yeah, you guys have a good night. Peace. I love you. Peace.